Welcome to HMH Learning Moments. I'm Annalie, and for today's Teachers in America episode, host Rose Els Mitchell, HMH's Chief Learning Officer, sits down with anti-bullying champion Rachel Swartz. Rachel teaches sixth grade English language arts at the David A. Stein Riverdale Kingsbridge Academy in the Bronx in New York City. Now, here's Rose and Rachel. Rachel, thanks again for joining me for Teachers Thank in America. Thank you so much. Let's jump in. So do you remember the moment when you decided that you wanted to teach? I do. What happened? When I was in high school, I kind of had like a mean girl type experience. And so I went from someone who had a lot of girlfriends to having no girlfriends and, you know, not really knowing why. And, you know, just the the kind of mean things that girls can do. And it was one of those things where there were a few girls that sort of said nasty things and did nasty things. And then everyone in the group followed that kind of bystander mentality. I sort of turned to my teacher's for guidance and support. And I didn't really tell anyone what was going on necessarily, but I think that they noticed a huge change in my personality and sort of thought, well, maybe there's something going on with that kid. And I see that honestly in myself now as a teacher, I'm always looking and saying like, there's something going on with that kid. I'm not sure what it is. And, and so I can see how they sort of thought that when I was in high school, one of my teachers, Mrs. Lewis, her name was, did the plays and the newspaper. And those were two things that I was really interested in. And I I sort of got to know her a little bit better through those things. And she specifically took an interest in me. And I could even say that she favored me. What did she teach you? She taught theater and then journalism, which was like with the newspaper. But she also did like the after school plays and the after school club for the newspaper. So I saw her a lot. And so I think through that sophomore year, she sort of saw that there was something off. And then by junior year, she, you know, she really started taking that strong interest in me and giving me roles in the place, but not roles that were, I guess you would say easier or simpler. She gave me things that were different or kind of would empower me. And at the time I didn't really know, know that, like, for example, in Alice in Wonderland, I played a character that was kind of like the queen and she was very mean and, you know, and nasty and sort of full of herself. And that really was not me. And so I was thinking, oh my God, why did she give me this part? But You got to play different roles. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, thinking back, she did that to not only give me something to make me feel special, but to make me feel empowered, you know, because here I am standing up in front of everyone and kind of being this strong female character that I maybe so badly wanted to be inside in my real life and couldn't necessarily do. So that was really amazing. And then with the writing, you know, I always liked to write. I always wanted to be a journalist. That was like what I wanted to do. But then you know, once I met her and and some other teachers, you know, I had other great writing teachers. Mrs. Dugard was an amazing teacher I had for creative writing. And they all sort of taught me just to like use what I had in me and kind of find a way to give that back to the world. They helped you decide, they suggested you become a teacher? They, they both, you know, encouraged me to do what I wanted to do. And I think that they told me I was a good writer and that I could definitely do that. But I just started to idolize them. And I think when you have nothing, that's what you sometimes do, right? So like, I felt like my world was sort of falling apart around me. It was a very hard time. I mean, I'm talking, I ate lunch in the bathroom. Like it was, it was bad. I really had no friends because, you know, the girls would then talk to other people and then it was just, everyone didn't like me and you didn't know why. And it was just, it was really hard. Horrible. And and, I mean, that stuff goes on today. I mean, sometimes in social media rather than upside. Yeah. Today it's even worse. I mean, I was in high school when sort of social media was starting. And I purposely just didn't have it for that reason. People started letting me eat lunch with them so that I wasn't in the bathroom. Mrs. Lewis would write me passes to get out of things so that I didn't have to be with 
my peers. Like if there was a senior event when I was a senior or junior event, she would be like, no, you're not going, you're going to stay with me and you're going to help me with this. And she would give me something special to do so that I didn't feel like I was, you know, kind of like this loser. So, you know, they didn't necessarily say, oh, become a teacher. But then I think I brought it up to probably Mrs. Dugard, the creative writing teacher. So Mrs. Lewis was older. She was like my mom's age. Mrs. Dugard was young. She's like my, she was 28, I think. So like my age now. So I thought she was the coolest. Like I really looked up to her. I thought she was beautiful. She was smart. She was funny. She was intelligent. I mean, she just was like what I wanted to be. So I think that that's kind of what led me. And then I wanted to be what Mrs. Lewis was to me for someone else. If somebody was asked to describe a teacher, I'm not sure that they would come up with those adjectives. And having role models as teachers and teachers as role models is so important, whether they're men or women, but for kids generally. And I think for, you know, perpetuating, you know, great practices and great people going into the profession. So thank you to Mrs. Dugard and Mrs. Lewis on on, on, uh, our behalf and your, your kids' behalf. Thinking about the 29 students in your class today, I mean, You're teaching a class every time you teach, but you're also teaching 29 individuals. You're trying to reach them. You're trying to have them trust you. You're trying to get their best work. And you're also trying, you know, to keep everything organized. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how you you manage to teach 29 souls at once. It's difficult when you think of it like that, but it's also very simple, I think. So, you know, you want to teach something that is going to mean something to the students in some way. So I think that's where you start. You know, they always say the best lesson is like the best kind of way to manage behavior. And so I think that that's a start necessarily in in terms of reaching them in some way. Because whenever I teach, I always think of the subject matter usually more than the activity, if that makes sense. Like I want them to learn something when they leave my room. I want them to... Like content. You want them to know something. Yeah, and I want them to like have it relate to their life. That's like, that's like my thing. Like I want them to have something that not only is interesting to them, but they can relate it in some way. So like right now we're doing the world wonders unit where we're learning about all the wonders around the world that are sort of being destroyed by pollution and weathering and corrosion and all these things. And so we're going to tie it in with a whole thing about pollution and how we can start recycling more and how can we start that in our community and, and things like that. So it becomes realistic, becomes tangible. It becomes something that they can actually apply to their own life. And that they care about. Right. Yeah. Because when they start to realize how much we waste we make, they're going to kind of all be have this like fire, you know, lit under them and say, we need to make a change. And they're our future. And, you know, it's important. I think you have to get to know them and it's hard to get to know them. But the other thing I think that's huge and that I think that we don't hear enough about in like the education world necessarily is um, collaboration. Collaboration is huge. You met before the other teacher that um, teaches sixth grade because our school's so big that there's two sixth grade ELA teachers. And we work together so much. I mean, we're a good friend. So it's, I think we're lucky that that kind of worked out. And the teacher that I coach each with also, uh, we're good friends as well. And so we all sort of plan things together and we talk about things. And honestly, the whole sixth grade team at this school is friendly. And I've always, I knock on what I've been very lucky everywhere I've ever taught. I've become friends with the people I worked with. So I think that that's a huge thing is like talking to them about specific kids, which we do that at lunch a lot, you know, where either teachers are like venting about something that happened, or I don't know what to do about this one. And then, oh, in my room, he's so different or she's so different. Right. And, so you get a different perspective on right. each child and you get different solutions. Right.
I noticed you had a smart board in your classroom. So yes. I've seen a lot of smart boards. So is, is technology a help or a hindrance? You know, how often do you use it? And what makes you think this is a this is the right time to be using it? But I think that when it's used effectively, it's used well. So we do a lot of things where they come up and they touch the board. They move things around, matching, drawing on it, circling, depending on what like annotating is a huge, that would a huge example. I don't know how I would teach annotating if I didn't have a smart board, because when you're underlining, writing notes on the side, that's huge. And you're doing, you're showing, you're, you know, you're modeling, you're showing them what they should be doing on their paper. I really have no clue how I would do that if I didn't have a smart board. I mean, I guess I would use a document camera, but again, that's technology. Right. So modeling and then engagement. And you'd be surprised those sixth graders that act like they're in ninth grade, they want to go up to the board so badly. Every hand goes up when you do. Who wants to come up to? Everyone wants to come up to the board, you know? <laughs> you talked about praise earlier and, you know, the idea that even like a ninth grader is is excited to hear a thank you or well done. I mean, you know, as humans, we're we're pretty optimized for a little right. praise dopamine hit. Right? How do you how do you handle praise in the classroom? There's been a lot of work in this area around growth mindset and that kind of thing oh, about yeah. how you give praise. So you described yourself as very structured and sometimes strict. So how do you handle praise? Well, I think that I also praise them a lot. You know, even though the, see, it's funny because I think that I'm strict, but then the kids will be like, "Miss Swartz, like you're strict, but you're nice." So, and that's great. Perfect. Yeah, that's what I want to be. That's like Mary Poppins. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that I praise them a lot. I mean, you know, when I was walking around today, I'm sure you heard me saying like, oh, great job. You know, the the girl I co-teach with, my friend, we also do that with each other all the time. We're always like complimenting each other or building each other up in some way in front of the kids or even just regularly. So I think that they see that, the kids pick up on that and it's just kind of the culture of our room. Yeah, it becomes a, a mode of discourse. So it, yeah. it's not just praise, it's also gratitude, which I think is a really important thing because yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason we're doing this podcast is, you know, being able to to hear about the work that teachers do and, and kind of shine a light on it because uh, I think as a society, we probably don't show enough gratitude to to our educators. Right. So it's great that you're, you're modeling that. When you think about kids you've taught over the years, you know, there's this amazing binder here and these are the the kids that have recognized you and there's so many fantastic lines in here of you're the best teacher ever, you're the best teacher (laughs) in the world. They've they've got to make you feel great. What about the kids who haven't written to you or the kids that you kind of wonder about? Is there there some of those that you, you think back and just like you thought about that lesson, well, that didn't work or I could have done that differently. Do you think that about certain kids that you've taught? Oh, there's so many. So, well, one of them in particular, this was maybe two years ago. So this student was sort of like, almost like a big baby where he, or like a gentle giant, I guess you would say. He looked so mature and so threatening and he was- How old was was he? uh, 11. Uh, But, you know, kids are just built differently. Yes. Yeah, just very tall. And he was the sweetest and most sensitive. And so he was having issues in other classes where he was crying, getting into fights because if someone said something or looked at him a certain way- it just triggered something in him that he exploded. And so he, I had him in eighth period and everyone knows eighth period is the hardest period to teach. Whatever's going on during the day. It's, it's the last period of the day. Yeah. yeah. So it's bugging them and they come in with all of this baggage or all of this stuff that happened during the whole day. Right. So everyone knows that's how it is. So he came in eighth period and 
I really don't know what I did. I think I just, what I try to do is just read each child and read the energy from them and, and how, and watch, you know, observe and watch how they interact with one another. And that sort of helps me think, okay, how do I approach it? Am I tougher? Am I coming in? Oh, like what's going on? You know, which way do I kind of approach them? And I approached it very like sweet and calm and almost like a younger child that you would, the way you would speak Mm -hmm. to a younger child. And he just loved me. I don't know. And and so every day it was like hugs. I got hugs, uh, the notes all the time. Um, he did really well. He was like, you cheer me up every time I'm sad. You make me feel better. If he was upset in the hallway, I would speak to him. And he just was so thank. He would always say, thank you so much. So that was really special just because it was a very interesting case. It, you know, it was like, it was one of those things where don't judge a book by its cover because it was the kind of kid where you think, oh, they're getting written up by the dean and they just look intimidating. And it was so the opposite. But, you know, I've also had, and that was, so that was a boy example, but I've also had girls that just anything from like, they're so sweet or, you know, they want to tell you things or they were bullied and they want to tell me because I usually tell them at the beginning of the year. I don't go into detail, but just- Every class you, t- you tell Yes. Us, yeah. 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 Every class. Yep. That we have anti-bullying week. And I made this video with my students a few years ago about anti-bullying. And so I showed the, the kids the video. I talk about how you know, I was bullied and I know what it feels like. And if you need someone to talk to, you can talk to me, whatever. And so this is in October when most of the kids like haven't, they're they're still settling in. Right. And so some of them may say from elementary school, they've experienced it, but for the most part, they're all just like happy here. Right. And then as time goes on, you start to hear, oh, my friend group is changing, which is huge in sixth grade because they're meeting new kids, obviously. And some of them have concerns about that kind of stuff. And it's good to sort of just be there, like be a kind of kind presence for them. And so I think all of that has been kind of nice with the girls and continues to be nice with the girls. And I have a few students that I could think of with that kind of stuff. And so I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it's a uh, it's it's very real. And you talked about keying into the issues that students care about. So what are those issues? I mean, you mentioned, you know, the effect of climate change. Oh, you implied yeah. the effect of climate change. What are some of the other issues that you feel are engaging kids today? Well, I think it has a lot to do with trends that are going on in the world. And so, you know, I'm a young adult. I go on social media. I see different things that are trending online and stuff. And I think about it sometimes, not only for myself, but as a way of like, oh, how is this something that I could think about? Or is this something the kids would like? Or are the kids into this? So civil rights is a big thing because Black Lives Matter is all over the news. And so I'm not necessarily teaching about Black Lives Matter, but we talked a lot about Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. And what does that all mean? And they, I did not expect the reaction. I mean, they just couldn't get enough. The questions I got were insane. When did racism start? Who was the first white man that thought it was okay to say a black man's not equal to him? I mean, it was, it was insane. And I love, you know, I just, I couldn't get enough of that. I loved it. I, inquiry uh, and curiosity. Yes, and- yes. And, you know, there just were so many. And I said to the kids, I know you guys have a lot of questions. Go home and research some of them. And one of the kids goes, yeah, Miss Watts, I already have four that I'm keeping to myself, but I have another one. Can I ask you that one? And I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, you try your best. We look stuff up together because they just had so many questions. So I think that next year we're going to do a unit on it. Um, this year we just did like maybe a week about Martin Luther King and civil rights, because it is important to sort of remember and talk about. But another thing is female empowerment is a huge trend right now. The students will tell you about the women's march. You know, they live in the city, so they hear about this stuff. They see it on the news. It's right, like, you know, not too far Mm -hmm. from them, right at their back door. So that's a huge thing that we talked a lot about. Another thing that is huge and this year is, is sort of something that it's something that I've never 
necessarily taught about, but I think that I'm going to start talking about more is the idea of the LGBTQ plus community and their sort of rights and those kinds of things. So in my after school program that I work at, I teach film and video making and two of the students that I have during the day happen to be in that class and are also part of that club because we have a club for uh, the middle school for that. And they said to me, Ms. Swartz, we want to make a film about LGBTQ plus and the different pronouns and all this stuff. And so I'm thinking, okay, like that sounds great. Or, you know, and I didn't know that there was a plus and they were explaining why there was a plus and all these things. And then one of the girls whips out a book that she made and it has every definition of every type of everything that you can imagine and is teaching me about all the different types of genders that there are. And again, I'm thinking okay, well, there's transgender and then there's girl and boy, right? And like, that's it. And she's like, Miss Swartz, I hate to say it, but it's a little offensive if you say that. And then I'm like, okay, okay, you know, okay. And so I think that kind of stuff is great. It's just, I think that anything that's kind of a hot topic or an injustice in some way is something that not only I find fascinating, but I think that students find fascinating. So I sort of look for things that are going to interest them or maybe show them an injustice that they weren't fully aware of and go from there. And that's my favorite thing to teach too, honestly. I mean, it's fun to teach reading and writing, of course, but when you teach about like a topic like that, you know, it's just, it's the best. We haven't talked much about that. You know, the the Mm -hmm. things you've talked about that are important as a teacher, you know, some of the words you've come up with are, you know, self-reliance, courtesy in the classroom, being a a citizen, both inside the classroom (laughs) and inside, you know, part of the city and, and the country being kind, being reflective and modeling that. I mean, do you think sometimes what it means to be a teacher is is misunderstood and whether by administration or or policy or 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 um, even the parent community? Yeah, I think misunderstood or maybe not fully appreciated. I wouldn't say I think some administration. I would say that our admin respect us and they make us feel special and they know that we need that because it it is exhausting. But I think that as a society, absolutely. And, you know, we've had people like Michelle Obama, like famous people that like are are prestigious sort of that say things about teachers, Oprah. But I think that it is missing in general. Just even if you think of how much teachers get paid, I mean, we're we're teaching children how to be citizens of the world and we're paid so much less than so many other fields. And I'm not trying to complain and say, oh, I don't get paid enough for anything. But, you know, I work two, sometimes three jobs and it's all everything's with kids. Right. So sometimes I'm working 12 hours a day with kids all day. And I think that no matter what I do, I'm going to make some kind of impact on them. And that's something that should be valued. And I know I'm not the only teacher. So many teachers do that kind of stuff. So I think that you're right, that there's an aspect of teaching that's sort of maybe misunderstood or not fully appreciated by the rest of society. And I think it happens a lot too. If you meet people that don't have teachers in their family or in their friend group, they have no clue what you do. And I'm like, didn't you go to school? Like, you know, you should remember from when you went to school what what a sort of a teacher does. But there's so many obstacles and demands from just society in general with getting observed and getting rated. I mean, that's just the absolute worst. That Um, has not made you a better teacher, I'm gathering. I don't know, because I think that it's it's made me a stressed out teacher. I think that it has made me a better teacher only when I've read my feedback and gone to my AP and said, what can I do differently or what can I do better? Right. But I don't think that the number system is effective. And I think that it, it makes, I mean, teachers, it's all we talk about is numbers and, oh, I'm a two, I got a three, I got a four, you know, oh, if you get a one, forget it. That's it. Like, you're like, I'm going to get fired. I think that it's not a good way to value or evaluate how you actually do. And I know that it's not our school. I think it's just 
in general, the entire country does this. But I think that it's it's wrong to say that because this person got a three or a four, they're better than this one because you're not there every day and you don't see what they do. And I would put money on the fact that Mrs. Lewis was not highly effective because half the time she was like, eh, like, I don't care, like what I get, whatever, it doesn't matter. But she made the biggest impact on me to this day that I, you know, wanted to be just like her. And I think about her so often. And that's more important than getting a four on an observation, in my opinion. And I'm sure many more students than just you, given the, the right. stories you told about Right, her. yeah. yeah. What do you think, and this is a big question, what do you think it means to be a teacher in America right now? I think social emotional learning is important and that ties in with the positive behavior incentives and things. So like PBIS, like I was saying. So I think that part of it is viewing the students and their needs and trying to meet those needs. And again, it feels like especially on paper. It feels like it's impossible. All of these kids have so different accommodations and needs. And this one's upset about this and it, like needs extra time with the handwriting. And this one needs this kind of worksheet. And, and this one speaks this language and just came from this country. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is overwhelming. But I think that if you try to look at them, like I was just saying, as people, I think that's a big thing. I also think we live in a very diverse world and a very kind of like technologically advanced world. If you had one wish, you could wave your magic wand and change something, one thing for teachers in America today, what would it be? I would say either, and we don't need to be rich, but I think if we were paid a little bit more, that would be good because I have two master's degrees and I still work two jobs. Or I think smaller class sizes, having small classes allows the students to be so much more successful and I think, you know, New York City 33 is the cap. And you can certainly reach kids and things like that with 33. But if you had 20, imagine what you could do. Imagine how many, many more essays I would give and grade and feedback and how well I'd get to know them. I mean, or 15, like it would just, it would be phenomenal. So I'm a huge advocate for small classes. I think that kids would, would really benefit from that. So I say small classes or more pay for teachers, or like somehow being able to go to the bathroom whenever I want. Although that seems like impossible. <laughs> yeah, that, that one um, seems a little harder yeah. to get through uh, to get through Congress. Yeah, Rachel, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us, and uh, we've got some some fantastic books to share with your class. Oh, thank you so much. Um, and uh, they'll go a long way to continue yeah. the work that you're doing to help open the doors to other countries, other cultures, and yeah. they're, they're part of the Carmen San Diego series that, that oh, HMH wow. has just uh, put out. So we hope you enjoy them and thanks for being part of our first podcast series. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This episode of Teachers in America is dedicated to the inspiring memory of Mrs. Lorraine Lewis-Brown, who Rachel now thinks of as her teaching guardian angel. Thanks for listening and learning with us today. You can join our community and read our Shaped blog by visiting hmhco.com slash shaped. That's hmhco.com backslash s-h-a-p-e-d. You can follow HMH Learning Moments on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's show and will please consider rating and reviewing or sharing with your network. HMH Learning Moments is produced by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, The Learning Company. Thanks again for listening.